Is the Christian church failing to address the issues that are happening in American culture right now? Hey, I'm William Dyer. This is Dyer Conversations. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Join me in this conversation by leaving me some comments below. Let me know if you agree with me, disagree with me, what your thoughts are, and then also maybe what you think the church might be failing on right now. So what I want to do in this podcast is I want to begin to touch on something that's been weighing on me and then create a playlist. I don't know how long it's going to go, but to start talking about something that the church really needs to start addressing. And that is that we are failing to train our people to deal with the real issues that are happening in America right now. There are some ideologies that have popped up recently in American culture that have been building for about 50 to 60 years, and now they're coming to fruition. The problem is, is that, again, I'm speaking generally, there's a lot of church leaders who haven't done their homework and aren't really studying the formation of these ideologies, where they come from, what they're all about, what they are really teaching, and then giving their people an actual biblical understanding of how to approach these topics. But one of the things that we can do is we need to teach the people that every generation of Christians is going to be embedded within a society that has a certain set of beliefs, okay, a certain um, ideology. Now, the Bible puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, talking about before we became Christians, and it says this, In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So what the Apostle Paul is saying there to uh, the Ephesian church is, before you became a Christian, you walked according to a pattern, right? There were certain beliefs that you held, a certain just a way that you looked at the world, and that, you know, kind of determined what you did, the decisions that you made, what you believed, how you felt. You walked according to those things, but you were dead. You were spiritually dead. And that's why you held those things. Now you're alive, you've been raised with Christ, you have a new set of values, a new outlook on life, a new way to understand the way reality functions. So every culture, thus, has the church and the culture are going to be opposed in some sense. And we can never, as Christians, believe that we have come to the point where we have reached the full understanding of knowledge. C.S. Lewis, the famous Christian author, wrote, I'm going to give you a quote here, and every quote that I'm putting in this podcast, I will put footnotes in the description below, so that way you can actually go look them up, fact check me, and you know that I'm not just making these things up, okay? So C.S. Lewis, uh, he said this, he calls this concept chronological snobbery. He says the, it's the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate common to our own age and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that account discredited. So he says chronological snobbery is this arrogance that you have where you uncritically accept whatever is the norm of belief of your day. And you assume because something is old-fashioned, a, a, a belief our value system is old-fashioned, that it's no longer a value. And he says, that is basically ridiculous, all right? 
So we need to understand as Christians that just because our culture has come to a certain um, ideological point does not mean that we have to buy into that. This is the this is the issue that's happening today. Okay, is that the church and the church always does this. All right, and every day you always have to fight the same battle. So we need to wake up and realize that we have to fight this battle as well. Is that we take culture and we take the Bible, and we mix them together, and then we have this pseudo-form of Christianity, but we pass it off as if it is as if it is Christianity. We use Christian lingo about it. We say it feels good. It makes people, you know, feel good about themselves, that they believe it, whatever. But if you uncritically look at it, of course you're going to believe that. If you really look at it, if you're really critical about it, and actually... Um, match it up with what the Bible says, you often realize that it is completely foreign to the biblical concept of Christianity. And that is what's been waiting on me, and what I want to present in this series of podcasts is that we have come to a place, we Christians in America, 2020, have come to a place where people with radical, radical views, completely foreign to the Bible— are calling themselves Christians, and are gaining these social media followings and just leading people wholesale into false styles of Christianity. So I'm going to uh, put up on the screen right now, we're going to go through two different tweets that I saw this past week. All right, so here December 2020, I don't know how these popped up on my news feed on Twitter, and I don't even know, I know one guy, I don't know the first guy, so Carlos A. Rodriguez, I have no idea who he is, but he has a lot of followers, uh, and he claims to be a Christian, he says this, Christmas is about believing what a woman said about her sex life, Christmas is about a family finding safety as refugees, Christmas is about a child in need receiving support from the wealthy, and Christmas is about God identifying with the marginalized, not the powerful. So this is like the social gospel, all right? So you take the biblical story and you twist it around with your culture's view of social justice, all right? So real quickly to talk about that, Christians should believe in social justice, but not the way our culture is defining social justice right now. But they mix them together, and they pass it off as Christianity. Why is this ridiculous? I'll tell you why it's ridiculous. So Christmas is about believing what a woman said about her sex life. False. We believe what God said, not what just some woman said. Second statement, Chris is about a family finding safety as refuge. Incorrect. Christmas is about God becoming a man, God with us. Christmas is about a child in need receiving support from the wealthy. False. It's about men believing the prophecies in Daniel and coming to worship the Messiah. And Christmas is about God identifying with the marginalized, not the powerful. Again, false. Just read the gospel stories. The gospel's for everybody. And that's why I put here, you should try reading the Bible. It's stories better than what you're reading. And I actually got like, I think 20-some people have liked my response to him. Not as if that necessarily matters, but I'm just saying I'm not the only one out here who realizes that this is not what the Bible says Christmas is about. Christmas is about God with us. That's why the Gospel of Matthew bookends the Gospel with, you shall name him 
Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, and at the end of the gospel, it's Jesus after the resurrection tells his disciples, hey, go out and make disciples, and lo, I'm with you, always God with us. That's what the gospel, that's what Christmas is about, God becoming a man to dwell with us, not this social gospel. Now, should should Christians have an effect on the way society goes? Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't create a false dichotomy here. Okay, second guy, Reverend Raphael Warnock. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. He is a U.S. Senate candidate in Georgia. All right, so he's running for uh, the Senate right now here in 2020, and he says, I am a pro-choice pastor. My response, the Bible calls that a false prophet because God's men who preach the Word of God would never advocate for murder. And if you read the Bible and you call yourself a Christian and you don't understand that abortion is murder, well, you can go ahead and talk to me. I will explain to you exactly what the Bible says about that. It is unequivocally clear that abortion is murder. If you don't think abortion is murder because you're not a Christian, that's fine. We could talk about that on a different foundation. But if you are a Christian and you think that abortion is okay, you might as well just throw your Bible out. You don't believe the Bible at all. Now, if you have never approached that topic, I'm not trying to criticize you at all and saying that you're ignorant. Maybe you just never approached it. But he says he's a pastor. That means he's a leader in a church. And he says he's pro-choice. No, you don't get that sort of uh, benefit of the doubt. You should know your Bible better than that. You have thrown out the gospel for what will get you votes. So then the question becomes, how did we as a church get to such a point where people have these radical views that are so foreign to what the Bible says? It all really had a turning point at the Enlightenment. So you, in, in biblical studies, you have two major, I guess, tracks that you could get on. You could get on the traditional view, or you could get on the critical view, all right? So you have to ask yourself, well, what do those two views teach? Why do they teach those things? And which one better matches up with the evidence? That's where you, as the student, as the objective inquirer, should be. That's what your job is. So, the traditional view. Now, the senior lecturer in biblical studies and director of postgraduate studies at Union Theological College in Belfast, so a guy that has a little bit of background in the Bible, right? His name is T. Desmond Alexander, and again, these quotes will be footnoted in the description below. He says this, quote, Prior to the Enlightenment in the 18th century, Jewish and Christian scholars were in the main unanimous in affirming Mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch. Now, the Pentateuch, if you've never heard that term, is simply a reference to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So he says, look, Jewish Christian scholars, they pretty much all believed that those books were written by Moses. Why? We'll talk about that in some future episodes. But he says that that had a turning point at the Enlightenment. So you should ask yourself, what happened at the Enlightenment for the turning point? Well, what happened at the Enlightenment is a lot. We'll dive into that in a little bit further detail in future episodes, but I want to give you one quote by Professor of New Testament Interpretation at Westminster Theological Seminary, Vern Poitras. Again, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. I apologize if it's not. He says this, quote, Historical critical method aspired to scientific objectivity. 
Okay, so he says you had the traditional view, now you have the historical critical view. That view was attempting to have an objective look at the Scriptures in a scientific sort of way. Quote, But in the nature of the case, it could not succeed. In freeing biblical study from commitments to denominational doctrine, it made study subject to philosophical commitments. So he says, look, what it did was it attempted to take the study of the Bible away from, hey, look, you're a Baptist, and when you study the Bible, you have to come to these conclusions. And if you're a Catholic, you have to come to these conclusions. And if you're you know, a Presbyterian, you have to come to these conclusions. We want to take that away and objectively look at the Bible. Perfect. That's what we should do. He said the problem is what they did was they just transferred uh, that objectivity. Instead of starting from a denominational background, now they're starting from all these philosophical assumptions. And he lists those. He says, to continue the quote, it made study subject to the philosophical commitments of rationalistic, anti-supernaturalistic historiography. Now, all that, it's a fancy way of saying that they subjected study of the Bible to the commitment of disbelieving anything that was supernatural in historical writings. So the Bible being writings about history in parts of it, it has miracles in there. He said, well, our absolute starting point is that miracles are impossible, so therefore when we read miracles in there, we're going to have to figure out a way to de-myth uh, the Bible. He goes on, um, the anti-supernaturalistic historiography and metaphysics into the ethical commitments of contemporary humanism. Again, a lot of fancy terms. All I want you to get from that quote is understanding that at the Enlightenment, an entire shift in biblical study happened, and that shift now put itself in a commitment to denying the supernatural, thus denying miracles, thus denying inspiration, and a whole host of things. This is why people can have these radical, radical interpretations of the Bible, but still think somehow that they're Christians. So here's the dichotomy that we have to uh, balance between. We need to break ourselves from the herd mentality of just believing what everybody else believes or just blindly going along with what we're taught, and we need to be objective, all right? But in that, we don't want to be mavericks. We don't want to think that, oh, I'm just going to be contrary to what the, the norm is. I just want to break away and be unique. No, but we have to be objective. So where are we at right now? We're at a spot where people are believing the craziest things, that, and then Christians are taking these things and somehow mixing them with the Bible and forming some sort of pseudo-Christianity, which is completely foreign to the biblical understanding of what Christianity is about. And the church leaders are failing to train the people how to actually, you know, biblically understand things like social justice and racism and abortion and whatever else hot topic you want to talk about today. So my challenge to you is to start studying and to start pressing for these things to be taught in your church. Because if we as leaders in the church just leave people, you know, to blindly wander in the fog, 
why are we going to be surprised when they start believing things that are completely foreign to what the Bible says? So I challenge you as church leaders, do your homework so you can train your people. Hey, thanks for joining me on this episode. If you liked it, make sure that you uh, click the like button for this video. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. And again, leave some comments below. Let me know what you think and share the episode with a friend if you think it's going to be beneficial. Stay tuned for more episodes on this very topic as I continue in this playlist.